God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thanks a lot for being here. I have another wonderful guest on tap today. Chat ahead. God, a part of it. Let's do it. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Kate Van Devender to the show. Kate is a television writer, actor, and producer. She's been a staff writer on CBS's Friends with Better Lives. She created and executive produced a YouTube comedy series called Part-Timers, and she created, directed, and starred in an award-winning web series called The Actor Diaries, among other credits. She is also the founder of Sandplay LA, a system inspired by Sandplay therapy that she utilizes to help creative professionals manifest their work and break through creative blocks. Basically, I'm glad I've got an hour because she has a lot to talk about. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's great to have to you. you. Thank you, likewise. Um, we were chatting a little bit before uh, we actually started the show uh, that we have known each other for a long time. You met me in a gaggle of Nick's. There were uh, so many Nick's. So in, many Nick's. That Nick Masu, for those of you uh, who are listeners to the show, uh, Nick Masu was just on the show, and Nick mentioned Kate. And, um, and so whenever somebody does that on the show, I like to bring them on instantly. One, because I think it's fun that I can string together, you know, shows, uh, cl- close in proximity to when somebody's like, it's almost like, uh, you know, like Candyman, you say Candyman enough times and the person appears. <laughs> um, uh, it's not quite going to end in such like a horrific place, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but, uh, at least I hope not. We never know. You never know <laughs> with the religion. Um, but, uh, no, so it's really fun to have you on to get to kind of expand on some of the things that Nick was talking about that he found was really inspirational in some of his work with you. And then of course, I don't know anything about you, but we were, we were talking about how we have many mutual friends that go back to a certain point, but that Kate and I have never really hung out together. So in some ways I know Kate, but in some ways I don't. Um, so I'm excited to have you here. And then also, uh, something I wanted to mention is uh, you're really good friends with Amy Peterson. Mm-hmm. I just had Amy Peterson's father on last week. Oh, Did you know so this? Oh, cool. I you had Ron, yeah. Ronald Peterson came on and uh, was just an absolute gem. I mean, this guy is a voracious reader <laughs> and just like his historical knowledge was awesome. We totally geeked out on history knowledge. Oh, Ron's and, great. And then also something I saw is that you studied trapeze. I do. I've taken trapeze lessons. A lot of trapeze. Do I you love still trapeze. Do it? Yes, I do. So do you do? Santa so Monica you're doing Pier. the trapeze stuff on Santa Monica Pier? Uh, yes, and I love it. I can't get enough of it. So when I'm there, looking at those people, yeah, flying, flying around up there. Sometimes that's me. That's yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> it's so fun. Uh, okay. So how? Why? I started. How did that happen? I, what's what's I your used background? I live that? in New York City, and they had a, also had a trapeze school. It was not over the beautiful ocean on Santa Monica Pier. It was over the highway. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's both of <laughs> them will terrifying. kill you, but yes. one you would die in a more blissful Correct. vision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I just thought it looked really scary, and um, that appealed to me. So I, I you were doing it over the highway. I did it over the highway. Wow. Yeah, and the first. I lesson, mean, there's obviously a huge net, but you yes, fall and into, you're, so you're you strapped a, into. You know, you have ropes on you and stuff. There's, there's no way you're you, going to die. When you fall on the ropes, do you do you hit the net? You hit the net. 
Okay. Yeah. The so you get the just... feeling of like, holy crap, I'm now falling, and you hit the net, and you're like, wow, I'm laying on a net above the highway. Yeah. It's it's wow. like it's like they they make your body safe, but your mind doesn't know that. Sure. So it feels like a free fall. Absolutely. Yeah. You get all the adrenaline, and the primal brain comes up and totally wants to survive like and all those, that stuff. It's, yeah. It's totally. It's like those moments where you're like in one of those hotels that have a glass floor or something, and you're 30 floors up, and you're standing there, and you know that they wouldn't allow you to do this if they thought the floor would fall out. Yes. But it's insane. Like you're not supposed to be doing that. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I, that's so wild. Oh, I, I love it. There's oh, so yeah. many good things about it. It's like grace under fear. The best thing I love is they teach you tricks. And so, um, and sometimes those tricks involve, you know, like letting go of your trapeze bar and grabbing the one across from you that may or may not have somebody on it who's catching you. Wow. And the, um, it never, the trick fails unless you are completely present. So if you anticipate or if you hesitate, you're done. You're mm. in the net. <laughs> and so it's it's like it really forces you under fear conditions to to be hyper present, which I, I love. That's really cool. So you're saying that when you say that it would fail if you're not in the present, what you mean is if you're just not responding impulse response and seeing what's in front of you, if you're trying to if you're trying to predict ahead of you, you will leave the previous bar in a wonky way or well it's all rhythm based so mm. the two bars swing toward each other at the and you have to let go at the exact right moment at the height of your bar and the height of the other bar and if Great. you so if you're not in rhythm with the swing then you'll miss you'll miss the person's hit you like reach for someone to catch you and they won't right, right. <laughs> they'll be in the wrong place in the air wow yeah <laughs> that's wonderful it's so it's such a thrill I've been doing Pilates, uh, so I like Pilates, but I don't fall a lot. I'm already on the ground when yeah, it's I like start. it's like Pilates off a cliff. Okay, it's about cool. That. It's like that. <laughs> I'm a little scared of heights. Um, Kate, that is uh, awesome. It's really thrilling, and I kind of want to do it. Uh, oh, come try it. Yeah, come try. Do they let Oh, movies? yeah, you can just like, sign just up. Sign up, and yeah. then you just go up, and yeah. you just like swing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's wild. You're on. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> For $45, you can come here and swing. Kate Vandevenda. Um, okay. So, Kate. Uh, I open up with the biggest hitting question right away. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, um, I had a, a breakfast wrap that I have been thinking about for three days, and I'm so happy. Wow. It happens to be at a cafe that's right near where we're recording, so I I, I was like, ugh. Oh, you, great. Yes. You knew that it was, was going to be a universal. You're like, I'm saving that. <laughs> yes. I love this breakfast wrap. I used to have an office right across the street, so I used to have it all the time. Oh, great. I've been missing it, so thank you. Where is it? What restaurant? Um, break Room Cafe. Don't know this. It's right on Coenga and Barham. What's in it? It's what makes I mean, it so wonderful. They have wonderful. a special sauce. It's like it's eggs and bacon and tomatoes and black beans, and then they have a special. I don't know what's in the sauce. It looks like Thousand Island dressing. I'm sure it's not, <laughs> but that's the color of it. And it, um, and then they wrap it in a spinach tortilla and they they grill it so it's crispy. It is so good. Well, that makes me very happy. And uh, now I have to break room cafe. Yeah. All right. Well, break room cafe. You got to plug. <laughs> um. How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Oh, I grew up in a Methodist church, so my family went to the church and Sunday school every Sunday. When you say grew up in the Methodist church, like, were you walking distance from the church? Oh, like... no, I just mean we went there regularly every yeah, Sunday yeah, and then yeah. okay. Wednesdays for youth events or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then my parents came from Baptist backgrounds, so um, so it's... Wow, so very Christian. So, yeah, very Christian. So um, where are you at in the country? We're in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Um, and, was... and so uh, they grew up Baptist. They grew up Baptist, but my parents are, they're, they come from academia and um, science backgrounds, so they're intellectuals. So it was, yeah, it was like we went to church every Sunday, but they are, and they're liberal progressive. So it's like, they were like, don't, you know, don't turn your brain off when you're, <laughs> when you're listening to these sermons. Like it was always kind of an intellectual exercise. Like, what do you think about that? And, and does that make sense to you? And it's okay if it doesn't. And, you know, they weren't really pushers of religion necessarily. They were, they were more like, let's just introduce our kids to, you know, some, some bigger ideas and then. Um, encourage them to actually like investigate it intellectually, but weirdly, it was not investigated emotionally. I never felt um, like you know. Now I have a, a, a very open spiritual connection that feels it feels very emotional and personal and um, spiritual. Whereas where when I grew up, it was pretty much all intellectual and maybe a little political. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating. So do you think? So the first question I have is, do your what was your grandparents like their uh, point of view on religion? And does that influence why your parents felt compelled to bring you to a Baptist or to bring you to, I guess, a Methodist church? I think so. I mean, my, they grew up in the South. So my, my dad's family is from Mississippi and my mom's family is from North Carolina. So do you get the sense that you're, did you know your grandparents well? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did, did you get the sense that they're very religious? They're culturally, culturally religious. Like no one, you know, my, my grandmother gave me a, my, one of my grandmothers was, she gave me a Bible and she grew up on a farm during the depression. So I think religion was really something that felt like survival for them. Um, but she wasn't like, you're going to go to hell if you do this. You know, a lot of it was just the culture of being Southern. Mm. It's just kind of what you do. It's where your friends are. It's kind of the point of view you all share. And the, and the big part is the values you hold, just kindness to others and, um, and, uh, you know, uh, a belief that there's something beyond life. Although when my grandmother, my very religious grandmother died, she told us in her, she was, you know, went a little senile and she was like, I don't think there's anything after this. I think that was all I am just going into the void. She <laughs> said like, that like on her deathbed? Yeah. And she like, was in the hospital or was she at home? She was like, in hospice. Yeah, she was she about was to die. And, and you're all like, hanging around. How many people are my in the My dad room? was there. I, yeah, you, so I just heard about it secondhand. Oh, you heard about it secondhand. Yeah. But so your dad is like, like, hey, so by the way, mom <laughs> had some real stuff to drop <laughs> right before she went. Yeah. He's like, so here's the deal. Like, was it like, is the phone call like, so grandma's gone? <laughs> and here were her parting words. God <laughs> does not exist. Is that it what the phone out. call was? No. <laughs> he told us a lot later. But it was so it we was grandma's it was gone, funeral, all that stuff, and yeah. then like a month or two yeah. later at Christmas or something, you're like, okay, so here's something I need to tell you. By about the grandma. way, yeah, he, yeah, these were her final words. Yeah, by the like way, we, I don't thoughts. think she ever believed all that stuff. She just kind of was being a good Christian by promoting it. <laughs> Isn't that such a fascinating conundrum? Yes. So yeah. So I think my parents didn't really buy in either. Right. Well, fully. so it, it it seems like this is a theme then. So you yeah. So. It's almost so. Do you get a sense then that? So your dad seemed surprised by his mother's point of view and delighted and delighted. So, <laughs> yeah. so not, he, not because he has an agenda to, for anti-religious right, agenda. He, he doesn't. He still goes to church, but just delighted that she found her truth. Wow. But then, so then, so then, what what do you think your parents got out of being at uh, church? Community. Yeah, I think community, and they, for them, it really is an intellectual. 
um, exploration, like just the history of the Bible. You know, when they teach their Sunday school lessons, they they teach it from the point of view of what the beliefs were at that time that the, that Bible passage was written, which is a totally different interpretation of how sure. you would read it in modern day. And so they were like, oh, historically, you know, this group of people was under oppression from the Roman, you know, they, they'll like really go into it so you can understand like, this is why this was written. This is what that means to those people at that time. And then that's what the lesson is. You know, it's not, it's not like a, a literal interpretation now, you know, it's, it's a historical one. Do you, is your sense of um, this Methodist church that it is, I don't know a lot about Methodist in particular. Is it, is it known to be a a progressive and liberal offshoot of a certain denomination of Christianity? Is, that, is it known as that? Or is it that is it kind of like any church anywhere, like this one happens to be liberal and progressive? Or it's would a, you even consider it? No, it's a real mix. Like in the, right now there's a big split in the, in the Methodist church over um, uh, homosexuality. Right. So, yeah. This is actually great. This, somebody else mentioned this to me, actually. Matt Hayes, who came on the show, was raised Southern Baptist, and he... Uh, is is a gay man, and he experienced. He came to understand his homosexuality at a very young age, and and for those of you who have listened, he he thought that the preacher would preach often about about gay people. It, God sent AIDS to kill gay oh people, yeah. and that he had a young age, like at the age of nine, thought he was going to die. Oh my like, god! <laughs> oh like, my god! Isn't that and so um, that breaks my they, heart. Like, they, they like asked what he wanted to be when he was going to grow when he grew up, and he was like, "I'm not growing up." I'm oh gonna die of AIDS. Oh my god! It's like it's, he tells an amazing story, and so uh, he mentioned uh, in that interview that I think this information had just broken. Like they had just voted that the church was not going to um, support yeah. homosexuality. Like it's one of those things. Like we'll welcome you as a Christian, but you can't. We can't. You know condone your behavior. Um, and the, so that's what's happening, right? That's what's that's happening. happening. That's the schism it, inside yeah, the and Methodist apparently Church the, now. And the, some are choosing to... Go ahead. Apparently the the homophobes were mostly, uh, this is what I understand, coming from non-American, uh, the non-American, so, so foreign um, Methodist churches were the bigger vote. and So a more immigrant sort of, the, uh, you know, whatever. No, First, not, not in... It's a worldwide organization. Oh, I see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, so I see. Right, so they have an not they as progressive. Have a larger influence on the Methodist churches. The international Methodist church yeah. is a stronger force than the American. That's Methodist right. Church and I think point. most of the Americans were pro um, pro gay, and then the, the the I think the international flipped the other way. So it all tilted. So do you feel like um, we raised with prayer in your house? Yeah, we prayed. We prayed. I mean, we prayed at every meal um, or every dinner, but honestly, I just was I really wasn't that into it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I I kind of signed off when I was about twelve from organized religion. There were a number of things like we had a new minister come in. I remember who was um, homophobic and preaching about it, and my parents left the church in protest, and along with a bunch of other people. So that had happened. But there was one thing that happened. We had these two youth ministers who um, <laughs> one Wednesday evening pulled us all in, all the preteens and teens, and pulled us all in for a sex talk. And okay. like a million, red, like we're all like, oh, red flag, red, like they're definitely not going to tell us the things we actually want to know about sex, right? We're, gonna, we're just right. going to learn stuff we don't want to know. So <laughs> They used to tell me to exercise more. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll have less <laughs> desire. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. the non-helpful stuff. <laughs> Thanks. 
Um, but it was a husband and wife team. And they wanted to, you know, give their testament to their own personal story and try to share and open the discussion, right? So okay. they <laughs> you're already Fantastic. uncomfortable. That's exactly how we all I just, felt I'm in just this love, I just can't wait. I, I, I continue, please. Whatever you tell me is going to be fantastic. Okay, so it's like 20 of us in a circle sitting on the floor. What, what time of the, so this is in the middle of the day? No, this is it's a nighttime Wednesday thing? night, which is like youth night. Youth like, night. Yeah. Okay, so Wednesday night was your youth night stuff. That was your, the, the kids, the teenagers or the young, Teens, your, your age yeah. group gets together. Yeah, we'll play games and have cookies and punch and just like and it's a sort of christian environment and in a way to like exactly healthy yeah. healthy getting together yeah we'll under the guidance service of stuff maybe yeah God. yeah and then sundays <laughs> with the family that's right okay that's so right. then you have this couple comes in to talk to the young ones about yeah dara sex. and steve what was the dara and dara dara, dara and, and steve. steve they were husband wife couple okay dara explains that um although she was a virgin when they got married steve was not I remember hearing a story like this actually when I was growing up. So, okay. So, she's going to, okay. So, here we go. So, and Steve is totally quiet. He's like, like, he's kind of looking a little bit ashamed, but in retrospect, I'm like, I bet he's like really glad he got a little, you know, got a little action. For sure he was. (laughs) He feels bad that he, and then her job is to sell that she's super happy about only him. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right. So then she says, um... The, like this is the this is the main message I want to give to you all tonight, it, which is, um, uh, your a girl's virginity is the best gift you could ever give to your husband. Wow. Yeah, and I remember thinking like, ah, you know, I was twelve, I was thirteen at the time, and I was like, I mean, I get what you're saying that it's a really sacred thing, and I can get my head around like it being a really precious gift. But what happens when it's over? Like, are you worthless? Right. Is Did that you get to it? Ask that question. No, I couldn't. Right, I mean, at the, and that I definitely, age, I was not going to ask questions in that. Good call, good call. I don't, you know, I don't. Yeah. Know. But no, I mean, it's like, a great question. Keep your eyes down no, and try to get through. No, it's a fantastic question, though. Does that that is that? Um, I want you to continue this story, but I, but my question is, if you want to fold this into what you're saying, is that, uh, is that, do you feel is, is that something that a woman is raised with a sort of sense of like once your virginity is gone. Yeah, I think so. I think that really articulated, uh, you know, a bigger cultural and certainly um, backed by a religion often perspective. Yeah. And it was terrible. And I, I, that was the moment that I was like, this is not for me. I I can feel my own worth and it's not wrapped around my virginity. Certainly. Wow. And I, I like, I'm unsubscribe immediately. And that was the last time I, I really, that was the last moment that I had any trust for organized religion, I would say. How much longer did you have to kind of like um, go through the motions? Oh, through high school. Wow. <laughs> All through. And then I went to church a little bit when I was in college. And then I joined Buddhism for a couple of years, many years later. And that uh, didn't take for other reasons. <laughs> well, I want to hear more about okay. that after the break. So th- this is um, – because I, I imagine like – What's funny about the phrase joining Buddhism is like I get this idea that like you you're like you joined a caravan and you just caravaned with Buddhists around the country and you're like oh God I joined this Buddhism (laughs) caravan (laughs) that wasn't good for a few reasons (laughs) it's like a band that you were like we were we traveled with uh, Grateful Dead for a while and that was fun for a while (laughs) had to pull out Um, (laughs) okay so um, we're back with uh, Kate after the break.
Okay, everybody, we're back with Kate Van Devender, and she is just about to talk about how she played music in a Buddhist caravan <laughs> for a couple of years. They spent a lot of time in Wyoming for some reason. So, um, no, I... Uh, so my question, I do want to know about that, but there's like some kind of more sort of formative stuff I really kind of want to dig into, if you don't mind. We oh, still yeah, have sure. time. Um, so when you have this discovery, you know, this woman, Dara, is trying to kind of, you know, she's obviously trying to validate her choices by instilling totally. this stuff and in so these vulnerable. young women. Yeah, yeah, I certainly don't and mean it's to certainly vulnerable, right? Yeah, yeah, it's open, it's intimate, it's, it's, you see it as not the road you want to travel down. Right, but she's definitely just trying to keep us safe. I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, I understand why, and it is a big turning off point for you. And it seems like it's a kind of lightning bolt kind of moment for you, like almost. I, I don't know if it took you days to formulate this as a young woman, but you it almost seems like it was a kind of eureka moment for you, like in the room you're experiencing, this is not a direction I want to travel down. Yeah. And and are you able to bring that information home to your family? Are you able to talk to your parents about it? Because this is something that I, I'm trying to, I want to learn more about is the tension between your parents' openness, but their also desire to like, to, that they still participate in going to church today, I find it really fascinating, all kinds of forms of worship and, you know, and ritual. I find these fascinating in their own way too. Parents that want to encourage an openness, a free thought. They don't seem threatened by a child that wants to say, hey, this is not for me. But at the same time, they're like kind of agreeing with you maybe, or they're encouraging you to be free thinking. It's almost like they're trying to tell you to leave the church, but they're, they don't want to leave it themselves. I find it fascinating. Like, that seems like an interesting tension. Well, we definitely had to go. I mean, we, it wasn't a choice to not go. So, but it, it was, they weren't going to force us to believe something. But I guess I wasn't able to talk to them. First of all, I didn't want to talk to my parents about sex. So that sure, conversation never sure. came up. To this right. day, they don't know that that, that happened. <laughs> right. But um, do they call, do they still think you're Dara? <laughs> <laughs> Are you Dara? <laughs> Is this like, it was like Fight Club, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, but go they on. were there. My parents are intellectually open, but we, but not emotionally open. Right. This is something you referenced. Okay. What does that yeah. mean? It just well, in, in context with the church, like you know, we, we sing these these hymns, and the hymns are all about like love and connection, and and like you know, my my soul sings and feels the glory of God, and you know, like really like huge emotions, like huge feelings and concepts behind that. But the context that I had for my parents was this very like hyper intellectual space. So there wasn't, it was analysis and mm. those are opposites. So I had a lot of confusion about what, you know, if I was looking at the hymnal as a guide, like, oh, this is what's, this, this is what it's supposed to feel like, but I can't personally feel that. And I don't think my parents are feeling that either from what I can tell because nobody's talking about it, yeah. <laughs> then it was it, there was a huge disconnect. It just felt like the religion wasn't reaching me in the way that it claimed to be able to for, for whatever reason. And so I, I... And you don't think it reached your parents in that way either? I can't speak for them, but I don't... I don't... I can't speak for them, but I don't think so. Or whatever your sense is of their experience, it's definitely not... 
the spiritual emotional resonance that you've come to understand about. That's right. We, not, you know, I, I really don't know what my parents' spirituality is. Yeah. I know what their intellectual beliefs are and their value system is, but I have no idea. You know, maybe on their deathbeds, they'll be like, here's what I really think about God. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how we roll. We yeah. just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we don't ask each other. I love you, and I wish I could have had those hours back. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Um, Mom? <laughs> um really fascinating. So do you, why, why do you think it's an important um, ritual for your parents? I think they love the community. I think they love the, they really do like to be pushed beyond themselves. Mm. So just to grapple with concepts that are, you know, have been passed down through time and are, are really big um, in terms of like interfacing with the mystery. Mm. They really like, they really, really like that. My dad's a physicist. So he's is always thinking about the universe and things beyond. And, you know, so all that stuff is really juicy for them and they're that's leaders good. in their community. So they have a strong identity there. And it's yeah. Really, so that's cool. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like a check and balance thing or something like they, he's in such kind of analytical physicist headspace going there, takes him out of that as best he can. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. he sits around a bunch of people singing. He's like, Oh yeah, this is what it's like to be human over here. Yeah. You know, I don't live with this in my day to day, but this sort of reminds me that, you know, this is what the culture is doing. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to kind of grapple with what that means. And I think there's value in that. I mean, I'm like, I, cause I also am, you know, in a process of learning, you know, what does it mean? You know, how do, what are the ways that I can, um, what are the many ways we can raise a child, right? I, mm-hmm. I have a child and I talk about that on the show and, and my wife and I discuss these things and we try to ask ourselves, you know, if you have these thoughts about the church, you know, how do you explain, you know, and here you have a child that, like like you, it, it doesn't seem like you're resentful of what your parents brought you up with, but at the same time, here you spent many years under sort of a guiding force that you tried to take seriously but couldn't at a certain point. Right. And it just, it interests me that, um, you know, when when parents kind of understand the conundrum, uh, maybe the inherent hypocrisy in some of the things that they believe, that they don't they don't really believe some things, you know. They celebrate they celebrate a grandmother's sort of dying like like shedding of a certain thought, and yet you're still in the pattern of that religious rituality, I think is a really it's an interesting it's the interesting tension of what it's like to be human. Honestly, I think it's one of the fascinating discussions. And so have you, did you find that at that moment you began trying to replace something in your life? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, so this I, is the weirdly, Buddhist thing. This is co- start, it starts there next. I'm sorry. I cut oh, you off. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I, I think, well, I was going to say, you know, I think probably my parents took us to church to try to instill something that they couldn't themselves. So like, you know, I mean, religion at its best will give you a structure by which you can um, investigate connection, like connection to yourself, connection to something bigger than yourself, connection to each other. And they didn't have the language or, you know, capacity to, to necessarily teach or nurture that in, in those ways. So I think we went to a community where they were hoping that mm. would be available, which it, it wasn't for me, but I understood the construct of it. Um, but yeah, I've actually always been a really deeply spiritual person. <laughs> I yeah. mean, so that, I think that's why it was so confusing because I have an, an eight sense of what religion is trying to do. And I just couldn't, it just, I, I was like, oh, this is not being done correctly. <laughs> do you have siblings? <laughs> this doesn't work. Um, yeah, I have an older sister and a younger brother. Okay. Do either of them, uh, 
do you share kinship with them about this type of thing, or did, did I, do either of them did, do either of them identify as Christian still today? My sister goes to church. I don't know if she would identify as Christian. I think she also just wants to expose her kids to good values. Um, but uh, my brother is a quantum physicist, so he he doesn't go to church, but he does think about consciousness and and you know at the quantum level too. It gets really interesting. Oh sure, yeah, um, that's fascinating. Stuff. Yes. So and my dad is doing experiments on consciousness as well. Oh, wow. Um, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, so so we have this whole intuitive side to our family that weirdly doesn't mix with religion, but it is really spiritual, actually. But my dad and my brother kind of, my brother, not so much. My dad's trying to define it in a scientific way. Um, And then my brother, I think he just is is an exploratory person like myself in general. Do you feel like your, uh, your path into your spiritual pursuit is, is just a, another shade of what your family is? Or do you feel kind of that you're doing it in a different way than the way that they do it? Do you feel sort of different from them in your spiritual emotional path? Or do you feel like that, that you have like sort of an, because you talk about the emotion and analytical divide. Yeah. And it feels like maybe what you're saying is that you're a bit more emotional than I'm way more emotional. emotional. I'm way more emotional, which <laughs> everyone would agree with. Okay, okay. Um, so everyone in the family's like... <laughs> yeah, Kate's it's that the, girl. Kate's the emotional one. <laughs> yeah. Um, or just the expressive one. My sister's also very emotional, but she doesn't like it. And I'm like, oh, I'm an actor. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's, good, good, good. Okay. <laughs> let's feel everything and then tell a story about it. That's, yes, you know, okay. Um, I would say I don't... It's not necessarily that I'm different, but I think my intuition and my um, express expression of it is turned up to an 11, whereas my family's is like a 0. 0.5. Oh, wow. That is such a disparity. <laughs> it is. It really is. <laughs> uh, um, so where do you... Okay, so, you, so you're coming out of this... Um, so this is your major first filter and framework, right? You're, you're following the analytical path. Clearly, you're you know, an intelligent person that can access an analytical side, you know, um, something that we talked about that I didn't introduce about you, but you are big time into computers and like you're sort of tech savvy in a way that's surprising for actors and, you know, um, so you clearly are balancing a kind of analytical and emotional strengths, which I would say is rare in the people that I meet, uh, in the business. Some people do have it, but you're, you're, that seems like a diverse uh, set of talents, which is cool. And so you, but at the, at the same time, you're like seeing that you're clearly emotionally more resonant to this kind of subject than the rest of your family. And at an early age, the analytical side says, this church is really not for me. And so you start pursuing something else. And you said, when was this sort of Buddhist joke that we, like we made a joke, but oh, obviously it was more serious Buddhism? at the time. I don't mean to. It was I like really... when I first moved to LA, so it was like 10 years ago. Okay, so we're talking, so what happens in between like, Okay, where did you went to Northwestern? I went to Northwestern, got a degree in acting, and did then you finish at twenty two? Uh, like, I, like, did you did you graduate at twenty two? Oh yeah, like, yeah, normal course. Graduate or, yeah, exactly. Okay. Or so between twelve and twenty two, 20, yeah. like it's kind of just uh, you're just sort of growing and getting through these stages. You're going through the rituals. You're right leaving the church when you can finally leave the house. Right, this right. kind of stuff. Yeah, college, you're exploring different ideas, and you hit on Buddhism for a yeah. while. Uh, later when I moved to LA. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, at, by the end of, by the end of college, you, you moved to LA or no? Um, no, I moved to New York for 10 years. Did I miss that at some point? My God, you were in New York for 10 years. Yeah, or eight years. Okay. And then I moved here after that. Yeah. 
And in New York, are you pursuing this stuff there? Is oh, it kind of New latent? York, yeah, I went to uh, New York. I did. I, I I didn't go consistently, but there was this amazing church, Riverside Church, is very famous. I don't it's know it. m- the only authentically um, interracial church I've ever been to. Wow. It's huge. It's in like a gorgeous kind of. It looks like a cathedral. It's just this huge space, and um, it is. It's such a relief to be in an actually diverse crowd, especially you know since my heritage is coming from a very white. Southern churches uh, sure. who are like preaching values of kindness and meanwhile instilling racism, you know, through the generations. So it's like, yes. it was, it was such a relief to, to be, to be there. And their the sermons, my God, they were like college professor. I mean, they were just so, they were riveting. I loved it. I, I, so I went there for a while. Cool. Um, but that's the only time I really pursued anything in New York. And then I was just too stressed to, <laughs> to do anything else. And then when I came to LA, and um, you you followed like your writing and all that to Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I uh, came here, became a writer, and then a few years down the line, um, there were a lot of people in the entertainment industry who was part of this Buddhist, this very um, not Zen Buddhists. <laughs> there was this other sect of Buddhism. Grateful Dead Buddhism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware. No, Keep the going. The vibe was kind of like they were. They were. <laughs> what I liked about it was they were unabashedly. Um, they were really active, first of all. It wasn't like meditating on a mountain. They were super active. They were outrageously positive. They were like really What does it mean to be active? Like when you say like active, it's like they were I just oh, thought, I'd always bunch. thought of Buddhism as kind of passive, just like right. you accept everything. It's all part of the same cycle. You know, it's, it's light and darker. Non-action so, is action sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you, a lot of meditation, you know. This was not like that. They were like, there is darkness in the world and we're going to overpower it with light, you know. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so, so they were activists. They were activists, okay. yeah. And the whole practice was about kind of like attacking with groups. They would go, you would go to somebody's house and you would chant. There was like a whole, ch- there was, we had little booklets of what you were chanting. It was wow. not in English. And <laughs> it was in no Sanskrit. Shit. You're a yeah. bunch of Americans chanting like. It was weird. I think you're the chanting text was, in Cantonese or something like that. I think it was, I feel like it was Sanskrit, but it had come in through a Japanese translation. So I think the actual thing we were chanting was like the Japanese pronunciation of a Sanskrit language. It was How like very, phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I don't mean to make <laughs> I think fun. That's right. I, I'm only having fun because you're allowing me no, to have fun. Oh, of course, of course. Because I because these things are important. These are you were taking it seriously at the time. You were trying, like you were oh, enjoying. Yeah. You were getting some real value out of the community of this. There's clearly positivity. Yeah, and I was depressed. I wanted to feel good. I was interested. Yeah. The chanting is actually quite interesting, right? It's a sound vibration that you work through your body, and you, when you're in a group, it becomes very powerful. So I, sure. I was interested in the physicality of that. Yes. Um, yeah, but no, there's beautiful harmony in singing together, and another uh, multiple guests of mine have talked about that, and yeah. I agree. You know, when you're chant, when you're singing, the chanting was great. Yeah, cool. But they were, I, I, I really like the dark. <laughs> you dig the dark. What does that mean? I like darkness. I think, um, I, you know, they they were really reluctant to like if you were in a place of despair. It would, there was a big push to just like, well, get out of there. That's not what life is about. And oh. and for me, I'm like. I need to sit there for a while because that's where the good stuff is. Right. Like that, those are where your, you know, your blocks are to your deepest pain, and your deepest pain are wounds that need to be healed. And once you heal those, you're unstoppable. You know, like I, I need to really work on, uh, like I, I need support to, so I can go down those black holes safely mm. and not, you know, blow into obliteration and have somebody have their eye on me so that there's a there's a path out and these people were not that way mm. <laughs> they were like we're not about that at all we don't want to 
we don't want to entertain the they were, they were they were afraid of the dark yeah yeah and i just uh, the dark for me is so rich it's just like it's a womb space it's not like a i mean it can be terrifying but i uh, to me that's like where i found my biggest gifts so I'm like never going to dismiss that for one second. So I had, I had to leave. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. Yeah. I think that's really resonant. Um, so you, so you articulate that and leave. Yeah. And, um, they're obviously afraid for you. <laughs> they're terrified. <laughs> every time something <laughs> good happens to me. They chant you out the door. Me, no, I still have some friends in there and every time something good happens to me, they're like, oh, that's cause you chanted for those two years. That's why that happened to you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, but probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but also maybe because I was I don't doing like being thing. claimed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like yeah. being claimed. No. And wonderful. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't say that any better. So. But great, a, a moment of learning for you, right? Yeah, You yeah. realize that you're finding um, that religious, that Dara pursues you <laughs> in Buddhism as well as... She's everywhere. She's everywhere. Dara, follow Dara me everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> hashtag Dara is everywhere <laughs> is the new hashtag handle for... for I'm writing it down. You should, Dara. Only there was a video recording. I did write it down. I doubt I'll ever write it anywhere else, but it was really funny. Um, so, so where do you go after that? Are you, are you, is there a sadness as you, like you articulate that you dig the dark. You're like, no, I, here's the thing. I want to learn more about myself and they're not allowing me, they're not going to, they're not going to help me comfortably go into myself here. I need to be, find a new environment. Yeah. Um, you're still, you articulated that you, or you referenced that you were experiencing depression. Did you have a sort of like boomerang effect where you left and you're like, glad you're leaving, but you don't know where to be? Or are you, um, no, or at that point, sure. are you like, no, that's now you've articulated, now you've, you've articulated a direction for yourself. Yeah. When the direction was, I'm going to go down that black hole. Um, so I was, I, I was, I would say like, my life was good, but it wasn't great at the time. It, like if you looked at it on paper, it was like, oh, you know, she's done some things and you know, she's done pretty well and blah, blah, blah. But I didn't, it didn't feel extraordinary to me. And, um, do you mind if I, we ask again where you are? You're about like 33, 34 or something like that in this range. You're early 30s. I'm not going to make age little, happen all the yeah, whole time, yeah, but no. I'm just trying to, because I think it's like important mid-30s, for- Mid-30s, I would say. Yeah. One of the things I like about this is that for me, and again, it's, I, I hope the listeners, if they're listening to this show, they're liking what I like. And what I like is how I've also gone through these journeys of trying to discover myself. And, it, and, and sometimes I think I find that I want to know knowledge sooner. And, um, you know- Knowledge takes time and it takes experience. And so here you are in your 30s, finally kind of coming to yourself. Yeah. And I I don't mean to derail you, but that's why I asked the question. Yeah, yeah. No, it was absolutely one of those moments is mid-30s. And I had met the man I thought I was going to marry. Wow, okay. Um, I don't know anything about this story. And then it, it didn't work. I realized at some point it wasn't going to work out. Okay. I mean, uh, one reason was because he was really uncomfortable with my spirituality. He just, he couldn't, he'd grown up Jesuit and he had it really, wow. any kind of spiritual path really scared him. So he was just like, I, I don't want to know any about anything you're doing or thinking or exploring. So he, he, he had left Christianity and didn't want to talk about religion anymore? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I grew up Jesuit. Okay. Uh, as okay. well. So it's interesting uh, that, uh, look, everybody has a different reaction. Everybody to has things, a different but, reaction. But yeah. his point is, I've had enough. I and don't want to hear yeah, about for whatever religion reason, in general, which or I still don't know today. General. It didn't feel safe for him. And wow. he didn't, he had closed that door for himself. And it really scared him to even be next to someone who was open. Wow. So after a while, I was like, actually, that's a really big, that's a really big part of me. <laughs> it's yes. a really big part of me. And I was doing things like, um, 
exploring meditation groups and ayahuasca circles. And I mean, I was really going into it and I couldn't tell him any of the revelations I was having or, you know, like really wow. intense experiences. And um, so I realized it was missing not going to work cool out. Stuff. So he's not, he's not, uh, he, he wants that entirely shut off and it's a big part of you. That's right. So I realized that relationship was not going to work out. So we broke up. It was a lovely breakup. <laughs> it was lovely. It was really like we, we, we like took all the pictures out of our frames together and he like helped me find a new place and helped me move. I mean, it was lovely. We wow. really, really appreciated each other. Um, but it broke my heart, especially because I, I broke up with him in my mid-30s. And so in this, in my mind, it was like, oh, this was the person I was going to have kids with. And I don't, I don't know if I... I don't know if someone will come along before it's too late for me. So I, I was shattered. Um, I was really shattered, not just with the breakup with him, but with the idea of having a family. Right. And I had to, I fell into a, a deep depression and, um, I started to look around my life and look at like, well, what else is not working? Like what else looks like it's working, but it's not working. And there were lots of things like my relationship with my best friend, Amy, I realized I don't know how to support her. Well, I need to reevaluate that. I'm not a good friend to her actually. And, oh, wow. um, yeah, and we're still working on that. And, uh, my parents, I <laughs> basically was like, this family dynamic doesn't work for me anymore. I need to, kind of disown you guys for a while and go find another way. I mean, I was like breaking up my parents, breaking up my best friend, breaking up with my wow. fiance. Um, I moved out of his house. So I didn't have a home. I was really, I just like took down all the pillars of my life that weren't quite working, even though I didn't know why. Wow. And I went really deep in. I was, I, I became suicidal. I just had suicide. Like I would go visit gun stores because the only thing I could think was like, you know what would feel so good right now is just like a pistol to my face, like just the oh. cold steel. I was like, oh, and because I didn't want to die. I just didn't. I was in so much pain, just so much psychic pain. And I just wanted relief. And death started to feel like a relief. Um, however, I would have killed myself if I thought it would work. But I, I was like, what if I come back <laughs> something else only? I don't have all these wonderful people around me and all the tools and all my intelligence. Like what if I'm in a totally different package and I can't work through it? You know, like then I'd be so pissed. I love it. So you had like, you had like a sort of reincarnation experience in an ayahuasca, like, like, you know, journey. And, and that you were like, maybe that was the answer. And I've, and I will be destroying my ability to like pursue that. Is that kind of what you're referencing here? When you say come back, you're talking about reincarnation. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I was like, you know, we don't know exactly how it works. I mean, I have some idea and I have some beliefs for sure, but I, you know, it's a gamble, right? So like, what wow. if I, what if I kill myself and I'm still in pain? What if my soul exists? I just don't have a body and I don't have all the physical tools around me to help me out of this pain. And I still have this problem. You know, I, I wasn't that sure suicide was going to solve thought it. Process. I mean, it's it's like <laughs> it's the it's, only thing that kept me alive. I would have done it. I would have just been like, first of all, because I was not in you suffering. are. It's god dang, it's so great to bring people on this fucking show. So you, <laughs> first of all, your strength of self and your comfort with the ability to talk about these things is really impressive. So thank you very yeah, thank much you. for sharing. Um, because that's a super vulnerable. I mean, it's, it doesn't seem vulnerable anymore because you clearly have power over it, but it's intimate what you're sharing. And I really appreciate that. But you also, it's very impressive because clearly you're not, this is a, something you're able to talk about as, as, as an experience that you can share. And maybe others will, 
I imagine other people will experience this. I certainly have experienced depression, and I, um, although not having gone as far as you did to, you know, actually looking at, you know, weapons, I understand, I think many people understand those thoughts of psychic, that psychic dissonance and where it can take you. So very impressive. But also, I've never heard the idea that you actually, you actually saw like a, like the repercussion of death as being like a threat to stay alive. It was a trap. I was so pissed. It was super interesting. I was so pissed. Because <laughs> I like, did. The only way out is not a way out. In fact, it could Ugh, be worse. What a fascinating, and not worse because of like what would have happened to those around you that loved you or whatever. Oh yeah, no, I was like, they'll, they'll get that over it. You would have experienced <laughs> even more psychic punishment. Yeah, that it wasn't going to work. I really wow. like solutions. And that was not one. I find this absolutely <laughs> stunning. Um, okay, so you how do you make that how do you how do you make that navigate that? Yeah. Uh, it turned into something quite beautiful actually. So I, I had a um, a friend who had worked a lot, she's a therapist, worked a lot with uh, people in this state, and she said, Okay, you're in a black hole and you're too far down to climb back out. The gravitational pull is too con- you're too contracted. So she goes, the only thing you only thing to do is you have to go through. And a black hole. I was always like thinking of a black hole. A black hole is like it's got this cone shape. Right? It's a torrid, like torus. It like goes down to this point where you're crushed. But then on the other end, the point starts opening up on a reverse cone, like a reverse torus, right? Right. So I was right at this apex and. Um, like to me, it was like, oh, your identity has to be obliterated in order for this to go forward. So it was a lot of just kind of hanging in there from a day-to-day basis. But what ended up happening was I had a huge artistic breakthrough that saved my life, and I built a business around it. Okay. That feels like exactly the place to take a breather. We'll be back with the final segment with Kate here after the break. Right, um, we're back with the final segment of our show, uh, and Kate was just talking about um, how all of this, this really, another of this kind of beautiful imagery of the black hole and being crushed at the apex point. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always thought about black holes as often talked about as wormholes. I've never thought about it that you actually have to be crushed in out of existence to appear on the other side of the wormhole you know like it's not quite a wormhole it's it's uh it's it's uh it's not even fair to say it's like a trash compactor it's like an absolute obliteration of of everything and then somehow the cells reorganized on the opposite side i guess and <laughs> I mean, so I don't you're know about that's to... a technical physics around <laughs> it, but it's the most contracted place you yes know? it's just so contracted upon you uh, in and on yourself yeah so so you enter that point with the help, with the guiding force of this therapist now. This therapist it, it helps. It was not my therapist. It was a friend. Oh, was and, a friend. I, you know, I told a bunch of people. I was like, hey, I'm suicidal. I'm visiting gun stores. Just know that. Just keep your eye on me. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I, I'm working through it. I don't really want to die. So just, like, just keep checking in because <laughs> I'm in a dark place. So they did. So I had a few people I really trusted who knew. Um, and uh, that helped. 
Um, do you um, lean on this person consistently, this friend, to help guide you through? Or does, does, she, does she just sort of, is it a it's she? Not, it's she. It's not one friend. There were like three or four. And they sort of say, hey, you know, we're here for you, but it's time for you to go through. They'd all been through their own black holes. Wow. So they had maps. Wow. And they were like, okay, we got it. Where do you, where does the map take you? Right. They, yeah. They were like, this is, you know, we, we know what this is. We understand, um, you know, they knew, they knew what to do. And now I know what to do for somebody else. Like, right. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Where, where does the map take you? Where do you, where do you oh, go? Oh, okay. So, um, so I started to like with this image of a black hole, I've started to think, you know, I was so, I was so miserable <laughs> and I just gotten off this show that was just, um, a writing job that, um, was typical in that it was really miserable. Mm. <laughs> it was a writing room, and um, I don't know if you've met writers when they come out of a room, but it looks like they've just like endured a war. Like it's just not a fun place to be. Most experiences on shows that I have I've had, I would say that oftentimes there's a lot of uh, agony about the experience. Agony, that's right. A lot of suffering. Um, and I was at this really low point, you know, with everything else. And it felt like my cup was full of despair. Like I just couldn't, literally if I took one more drop of any kind of suffering coming from anywhere, a relationship or a job or my creative life, I was going to kill myself. Like that was it. So um, I kind of like said to the universe, like, I will not suffer anymore. I will not do it. I will sit here and not do a thing unless it is in total pleasure. That's my, that, that's my demand. And so um, I was supposed to be working on a, um, a sample to go get another writing job. And when I sat down to write a script, it was awful because like a lot of writers, I love storytelling and I hate the writing process. It is, it's like, you know, sitting in front of a blank page, listening to all your demons come up. You know, it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. It's basically the writer's room, but in your head, you know, because that's how we've all been mentored to write. So um, I sat down to write. I was suffering from minute one. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I will give up my entire writing career if it means that I am suffering. I won't do it. And so I started to realize I need an, I need a way to write that is that does not involve suffering, that does not involve one ounce of suffering. And I knew this was possible because, you know, like we've all experienced this in, in certain fleeting moments when you're like really in the zone and like the information just comes through and you're like, oh, that feels so good. And it feels so clear. And I love this idea. And you're just like watching it come through your fingertips and um, you feel like you're connected to something divine. And um, it's usually like really incremental. It doesn't last long. You never know when it's going to come. It feels like lightning strikes. So no one can control it. But I knew it was possible, right? So um, I started to think about the creative process as a whole. And I realized that there was so much broken about the way we do the creative process in this industry. And a lot of it um, is because when you're in a writer's room, it's f- there's a lot of money behind you and it's there's a lot of fear going around and um, it brings people's worst versions of themselves out. Um, but not, not to, de- please don't, I don't want to derail too much, but something that I, I found interesting as I learned more about this, um, as I grew closer to, like my experience on trial and error, all the writers there had a very positive experience. It's one of the rare experiences. I'm so that happy I to hear that. Yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> but I learned a lot through that by having connection to them is that, I, I didn't. I don't think I knew for a long time that writers suffered that same fear of losing a job that actors do. It's the, mm, it's almost oh yeah. exactly the same. It, yeah. it, it's 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 a different. Uh, there are different breeds of minds typically, but um, the fear of the show ending. It's very difficult to con- to get another writing gig. Uh, it's difficult to get another acting gig. It's it's you're always waiting. You're you're never quite 
ahead of the game. It's very hard. That's and right. um, so that fear of losing out, uh, the fear of losing the job and being cut out or being fired or being replaced, whatever that is, um, is is just as potent for writers as it is for actors. And so yeah, that space yeah. is everywhere in this It's business. everywhere. Yeah, it's pervasive. Yeah. yeah. I well, I started to look. I saw this map of what a human being was, um, and it was like divided a circle divided into four quadrants, and it was like, oh, a human is heart, body, mind, spirit, right? Four things together. And I started to fixate on this idea of like, I would love to write from my whole humanity. And I was looking at according to this chart, you know, how a writer's room operates, and it's like, well, we're not in our hearts because we're terrified. We're we're shut out from the fear of being fired or failing. We're not in our bodies because we're sitting in a chair eating junk food. So we're like dissociated from our physicality somehow. We're, some people are connected to their muses, which I would say is a spiritual quadrant, but it's rare. It's like that lightning strike version, right? It's hard to maintain. And then in our minds, we're not really tapping into the most brilliant parts of our minds most of the time. Most of the time we're brainstorming or we're regenerating things, we've, ideas we've already heard somewhere else. You know, that's why so much on television is just like stuff you've seen before. So if you look at what the process is based on, it's not based on our whole humanity or our best humanity. It's like an eighth of our humanity. It's completely inefficient. So I was like, I wonder if I could design a creative process that embodies the whole human and would it work faster and would it work better and would it be more pleasurable? So I I was asking myself, like, what, what do I want the creative process to feel like if I could invent it from scratch? And the answer was, I want it to feel like channeling. I don't want to write at all. I just want to sit there and have some, something in my psyche dictate to me something that feels totally brilliant, and I just want to write it down and turn it in. That's mm. what I want. So I was thinking, you know, I was thinking about these things over, and I was, you know, standing in my demand to not suffer one single bit. And so I thought, all right, I'm supposed, I need to write this script. I had a title that came to me in a dream, which is totally pleasurable. So that counted, right? And I thought, all right, what what would be pleasurable? What would be fun? And what was fun was um, research. I, the title had a psychopath in it, so I was like, oh, I, I love research. Like if I just read books and, and watch movies on psychopaths, that sounds so fun. So I started to read a lot about psychopaths. That does not sound fun to me, but you had oh, clearly oh, gone through an extraordinary place. I was really into place. it. <laughs> Where that's it's like really not really even scary it. to you anymore. <laughs> oh, just like how the psychopath mind yeah, works yeah. and what is it like to walk around the world without any empathy, you know, because I'm so empathetic. So just, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, what a relief it would be to not feel everything all the time, you know. I'm not ready for that yet, but I'm impressed <laughs> that you are, <laughs> okay. but go on. Um, and um, I, I stumbled across Carl Jung because he was the one who studied a lot about the shadow side of humanity. And um, in the process of reading Carl Jung, um, he was also the one who articulated that our psyches speak to us in images. That's why we dream in pictures. He did a lot of a lot of work around that. And um, I went a little further, and I stumbled across this um, me- method that's a Jungian method that's used for kids that was invented by a woman named Dora Kalf, who's Swiss in the 60s, where um, she realized that, you know, doing therapy with kids is difficult because they don't have a lot of articulation skills. They can't just tell you what's going wrong with them. They're confused, you know. So she um, invented this way where she has this, she built this tabletop sandbox. It's like two, three by two feet by three feet. And uh, it's got white sand in it. And then she put like 500 little toys on a shelf. And each toy was like people and places and monsters and things and trees and, you know, anything that would be in a world. Mm -hmm. And she would have the kid come in and say, you know, all right, what's going on with you and your mom at home? And instead of answering verbally, the kid would go to the shelf and with that question in mind, start picking figurines, these images. And then 
he would put them in the box and it usually took about 45 minutes, but the kid would make a constellation of images that would relate to each other in various ways. And it was so accurate toward the kid's experience because it was coming directly from the psyche. And what she realized was that the sandbox became an exact mirror for that kid's psyche. Um, so I was fascinated by this modality and I had a friend who was a child therapist who, who gave me a free session so I could try it out. And I just started to think, what if you could use that same modality for storytelling? What if you could ask the consciousness of your script or the consciousness of the, the, um, the role that you're, that you just got cast as what it was trying, you know, what if you could ask it questions, what about what anything you needed to know so you could write it down. So I was like, that sounds fun. And I'm all about fun right now. Mm. So I went to childtherapytoys.com. I bought a sandbox. I, I didn't have enough money to like buy all these toys, but I, I printed out images and I laminated them and put Velcro on the back and then made a Velcro wall. So there were like 500 different images of all, all kinds of things. And my images were, you know, there were sexual images and religious things you wouldn't find in a kid's toolbox necessarily. And um, I was like, all right, so I've got... I, I was looking at my chart of humanity, right? I was like, okay, I've got the body piece because this is very physical. Um, I wanted an emotional piece. So I made a playlist of like really heartfelt music that just felt like relaxing and welcoming. And then the spiritual piece was the connection to the psyche. And then in this modality, it's interesting. What happens to your mind is it, stu- it flips. Usually like when you're brainstorming ideas, you're in a generative state. You're in, you're in an active state. You're like throwing out ideas, trying to come up with them. But this switched to a receptive state. So you're actually like, your your brain is watching what your hands and heart are feeling. And I got it all set up. And sure enough, uh, it worked like magic. Wow. It worked like magic. Yeah. Wow. It worked so well. Um, I, How did, I, who did you test it first with? With my own script. So I like, you know, I, I went through all the tenets of storytelling that you, you know, I had this title. Like you did the sample with yourself. Yeah. So I had the title that came to me in a dream. Wow. And my first question was like, all right, what is this show about? Because I had no idea. Wow. And I turned on the playlist and I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. And uh, like lightning, it was like just like that feeling of being in the zone. And I got the themes for four seasons downloaded in 45 minutes, which normally would have taken me three months at least. Wow. It was so fast. And there were like 50 images and they were all related to each other and they were all communicating to me things that meant something. And I got characters and so I did this for like 10 weeks and each week I did a different um, question. Like what are the characters? Who are the characters? What is the, you know, the world? What's the tone? Like things you would normally be doing anyway, but I just downloaded them instead of, you know, quote unquote, created them. Wow. And I turned in the script and my agents were like, this is the best thing you've ever written. Where did this come from? And I was like, it came from magic. Yeah, so I'm really yeah. glad it worked because I needed to work, I needed it to work professionally as well. Wow. As just being, when was this? How many years ago now? This is or three was years it recently? ago. This okay, is three, three years, years ago. ago. And it worked so well. Um, my friends started, who were also in creative crisis, came over, you know, even if, it was like an actor who was blocked who just got cast in a role that they had no idea, they were terrified of. Right. They would come in, do a sand play. Sometimes they would do a sand play around the block. And um, it, I, I, it worked for every, it worked for everyone. I, it wow. wasn't just me. Yeah, people were leaving my house in tears. Wow. And so eventually I opened this business, Sand Play LA. And now I have groups and I'm having um, people from Silicon Valley come in, like founders, I have producers Kate, and directors. This is magnificent. And creative directors. It's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's it's like um, being in the zone on command. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and you're still writing. 
Oh yeah, not that, so, no, I'm yeah, writing I mean, five projects. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> it's writing it done. Yeah, and it's so it's so neat because in brainstorming, you throw out a bunch of random ideas and try to connect them. But this is really different. It's actually like downloading a single stream of consciousness, and no, there's no junk. Everything is related, so there's no waste. It's extremely efficient. Well, I wish I could talk to you for another hour about sand play, but I also am so glad that I got to hear everything about what brought you to sand play. Thank so you. maybe I'll bring you back. Now I got to keep, I keep, now I'm saying this twice in a row. I got to keep, <laughs> got all these guests I'm bringing back. Kate, it, this was a beautiful story and a sand play sounds fascinating. I, you may get a call from me oh, at some point. Oh, come anytime, come play. It's I so would fun. love yeah. to do that. That sounds Absolutely beautiful. Um, I mean, obviously, Nick had already told me that oh, he yeah, had such yeah. a magnificent oh, yeah. experience, which, which is what he referenced you and why you're here in front of me now. But um, obviously, you know, it doesn't it doesn't take a, you know, a, a super insightful person to see that you have a very impressive story and um, that it's uh, very cool that you came in to share it. And it has an amazing, um, it just has an amazing, uh, like, it has such an optimistic outcome through difficulty and uh, very impressed. Very thank impressed. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's been a pleasure and I'm, talking yeah, about thank such a you nerd so much about for being, this stuff. So thank you. Oh, man. I love, I'm such love a, it. I'm a, I'm one <laughs> nerd knows another. All right. Well, and goodbye to all. And, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. <laughs>